0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think I'll I'll kind of self-introduce, which I am not used to. <laughs> so I am I am your Shobha ma'am's younger brother, uh, only brother, and she has been a wonderful person, uh, a dear friend, and of course a most wonderful sister. And uh, we both have grown up together, shared many memories. As far as I am concerned, yes, I move around, speak a lot, write a lot on different subjects, gone all over the world, sharing the vision and work of Shirbindu and the Mother. Um, I have I worked with the Indian Air Force uh, for 20 years, retired as a wing commander. And now I am settled in Shirbindu, Ashram Pondicherry, which uh, Sathvik has already said. Uh, I have written a few books, but um, I love to share... Uh, a deeper, greater vision of life, future life, and how the present can move toward the future in the light of my master, Shurubindo and the mother. Alright, I think that's good enough, Gigi. (laughs) Yeah. Namaste. I think the subject is freedom from stress. If we look at life, one thing we can be very sure of and it is this that life is perpetually changing and as long as this change is taking place at a very small level, at a slow pace, it's okay but this change takes sometimes a leap, a leap across time and when this happens, it's not just a change but an unexpected change. So, two things in life which we can almost say with certainty. One is that change is the way of life, law of life. And second, we can say with as much certainty that uncertainty is the only thing certain about life. Alright. So, essentially, this change, as long as it is at a slow pace, it doesn't generate stress or we are able to handle it. When the change is sudden, unexpected, It may be a good change, bad change. That's not how we uh, understand. The body, the mind doesn't look at it like that. This suddenness and unexpectedness does create a kind of stress. This is the first thing we need to understand. Second is, stress has a lot to do with our perception about ourselves and our life. So, If we understand life correctly, if we understand the real sense of the events and circumstances about things that are happening in our life, it takes away the sting of stress. For example, let's take an example of the Gita. Arjuna is under great stress. He is a great warrior and it's not difficult for him to fight this battle at all. Yet he is under stress because he is called upon to do something which he has never done till now against his own very own people and where death, massacre, all these things may be involved. And his own inner idealism recoils and revolts. So there are two levels of stress. One is stress which is very external and the automatic habitual reactions of our being. Second, where it is very internal, where the stress is stress of choices, whether I should choose this or I should choose that. So this stress of choices creates a kind of internal conflict and since we as human beings do not like to live in a state of conflict, it generates stress. In fact, we can say with as an axiomatic truth that uncertainty creates greater stress than a certain danger. So that's where we see that in Arjuna's crisis, there is a stress. But all stress, when we look at it very closely, is essentially an evolutionary process. Meaning thereby... As long as we are not called upon to the change, as long as change is very little, we evolve very slowly. Life gets caught into a habitual mechanical routine. And while it's all right, you know, it may be reassuring to be in a kind of comfort zone. Yet within life, there is ingrained, inbuilt, an urge to evolve. And this urge to evolve, in other words, this changes the direction. This urge to evolve can be experienced as quest, seeking, aspiration, wishes, desires, imaginations, ambitions, call it whatever. As human beings, we are programmed to evolve. And this evolution can take one of the two lines. One is evolution along the lines of desire. And second is evolution along the lines that we are meant to evolve. In other words, there is a kind of programming within life wherein it should evolve towards greater and greater possibilities. And if we look at the whole creation, the whole evolutionary process from dust to man, we'll see essentially in life the evolutionary programming is to grow towards manifesting greater and higher capacities and potentials which are within us. All education is a recognition of this evolutionary impulsion. And to understand life, we must catch this evolutionary thread which runs as an undercurrent of life. When we do not catch it, we are compelled to evolve. We are shaken from our comfort zone and when we are shaken from our comfort zone, we call it stress. In other words, stress is a challenge thrown by life to help us grow. It is not some mysterious God trying to punish us. It's not some law of karma wanting us to suffer or somebody wants us to, you know, um, become miserable. It's none of these things. It comes, stresses come in a life because they want us to grow and evolve. And this growth and evolution is along two lines. One is... Evolution of knowledge, that means a right understanding, a truer understanding, a deeper understanding, a broader understanding of what life is, what am I doing here? What are these events and circumstances which appear so frightening? And the second is empowerment. It's not enough just to have knowledge, one should also gain power to overcome it. So these are the two essential faculties or capacities along which life evolves. And of course at the core of it is love. Because an evolution without love is like an artificial intelligence. It has knowledge, it has power. But it is insane, it is destructive. And the second evolution is where you have not only knowledge and power, but love at the core. When there is love at the core, then it is divine intelligence or spiritual intelligence. So human intelligence can grow along these two lines. One line where we stress upon a kind of knowledge and power which is done at the expense of love, is a life of egoistic assertion. That's where ambition takes us, desire takes us, where we are completely concerned only with ourselves and with nobody else. So a person who is extremely egoistic and selfish, he keeps on living only for himself till he reaches a point where he is all alone. And that's where life hits back and recoils. Because you cannot evolve beyond a point without this energy of love. Many people do that. They in fact say that, no, no, love, emotions, this is not good. So you must just, you know, fulfill your ambitions, desires, wants, greed and we forget this core. Whereas another kind of evolution is where knowledge and love are like two wings of a bird. But they are balanced on the body of love. So this we must understand that in all processes of life, whether it be facing stress or anything else, one must always keep a heart of love and compassion at the core. Why? Because when we don't have it, then we react to things with fear. And fear confuses and confounds our understanding. Take for instance, the recent outbreak of Corona. Now, you know, there was a kind of all around from the media and everywhere. It was like as if death is coming and dancing over our head. So what was happening? Now fear gives a wrong signal to the body and the brain, the brain and the body. So what is happening due to fear? the lungs were overreacting. The immune system was overreacting. It's like using a nuclear bomb right next door to your house to kill your neighbor. I mean, it's the most absurd thing one can ever imagine. Because if you do that, you are going to be as much impacted. So that's why in the beginning you saw many people dying, which was not really necessary because the human body was hyperreacting. There was a hyperinflammatory response out of fear. The enemy was assessed. Because of fear, it was assessed much more than what it was. And of course, that is thanks to uh, media, thanks to the drug companies. So, that's a story in which I don't want to go. But supposing you looked at it calmly, you could understand very simply, this is yet another virus. Human body has tackled multiple viruses from, God knows, Baba Adam ka I mean at least 1 million years of human evolution. Even if you take the most conventional thing, it is at least 1 lakh 50,000 years. We have evolved through countless things. So, it is another virus. We can handle it. Human body is very much equipped. It has all the information, our, uh, you know, white blood cells, all the cells which are needed, all the things which are needed to fight. All that was needed was to take rest, stay in quietude and within us, augment the healing power. And to augment the healing power, we need to put our mind on the right side of the game. So what happens with stress, the mind is taken to the other side. And the mind in man is the leader. Before the soul emerges, but that may, may not be a subject for this evening. But the mind is normally the leader of man. As one of the Upanishads says, mana prana sharir neta. So, it's so important to keep the thoughts in the right direction. If the thoughts say that, well, you are going to die, you know what message we are giving to the body, you are dead. So, when it says that you are going to die, all the body mechanisms begin to shut down. Why? Because the mind has told you are are as good as dead. So, either they panic or the body goes into a shutdown, given up, giving up up mode and the result is almost an inevitable degeneration you see there are very interesting studies with regard to this there is something called mirror neurons you know you meet a person and you just simply say everything will be okay you'll be fine so you have gone away with a smile and a cheer but this smile and these words will keep playing like a mirror in the person's head much longer so it's not about meeting few minutes Whereas another kind of doctor who may say or a visitor who may say, oh my God, so dangerous, you have corona, you are going to… Now imagine the whole setup was like that. He was completely isolated, all masked with all those uh, coats. What a frightening image this is. So first thing necessary is to make the mind understand correctly any situation. And the mind cannot understand if it is in a state of excitement and turbulence and agitation. So the first practice if you really want to manage things in life is to stay calm in the face of danger. How can this calm come? This peace grow inside, this clarity can come, which comes with peace. There are two possible ways of doing it or three possible ways of doing it. One is exercise reason, try to understand things correctly. Now not pseudo reason, pseudo reason is what we have gathered from whatsapp gyan but true reason look at things just as it is as i said in the case of the virus scenario don't go by all the studies this that and so many deaths look at it calmly and you will understand that human body is equipped to handle it why make such a big to do about it if if a calm reason can look at life it will be a great help second is if you want to look at things and understand correctly step back from the whirlpool of life if you are caught in the whirlpool it will carry us and not be able to show us which way to go. We will be confused, directionless and eventually the boat will be, boat of life will be carried towards the sinkhole. Whereas if we step back and look at things, so when we step back, this is an art, learning to step back. Don't react immediately. We, We react instantly to situations, circumstances and this is something which can go on. It's like an endless learning process. So, When we step back, then we have a better picture, a clearer picture. This in yogic parlance is called deepening the consciousness. We live on the surface. So what happens when we live on the surface? We are tied to hundred strings. One whatsapp message comes and there is a chaos first within us and then in the community. Something goes on in the TV. There is a war which is taking place and everybody, oh my god, third world war, nuclear bombs are going to fly all around. Why? Because we don't know how to step back And to learn to step back Every day we must set aside a time When we can practice this stepping back So that's why meditation is important Instead of being caught in the whirlpool of events Circumstances running from here to there All the time responding to this call, this message Learn to step back Spend some time just to step back Look at our own life There are people who have lived a whole life And it's a pity they don't know why they lived I've asked people, what was the goal of your life? And they come up with some of the silliest of answers that is possible. Well, we got married, we had children, I got a job, I got money, now my child is having another child, I mean grandchildren. Can you imagine? Is this a goal worthy of a human being? Animals also have this. They have a little den, they have a child, they have grandchildren. They don't make much ado about it because in animals the lifespan is so short that most animals will die without seeing a grandchild. It's only given to human beings. And there is a reason for it. But that is thing apart, why human beings are given the capacity to have, you know, uh, grandparenting. <laughs> it's like a quote's correction. You know, parents are caught up in all that excitement. Grandparents are supposed to have gathered wisdom. And to, you know, uh, teach a, their child as he's growing up through the child that, look, it happens, don't worry, you also went through all this, to reassure. But of course, some grandparents can add, you know, fire or salt to the injury. But that's the thing apart. So, learning to step back is one of the fundamental practice. And stepping back, what should we really, what is the question we should ask? Where am I going? What is my aim? You see, there are three questions which change the life of a man. T.S. Eliot, you must have heard. It was raining and he suddenly... Uh, knocked at the door of a person because he wanted to take shelter, it was raining. Those were the days when not much questions were asked and he was let in. And the person who opened the door in a farmhouse asked him only three questions. Who are you? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? See, ask these three questions and see how your life will change. Who are you? Say that I am an ordinary person, I am at the... Mercy of life, I am trying somehow to make both these ends meet, and you are finished. What does Indian yoga teach us? You may be in rags, yet you are Brahman infinite. You are the divine in disguise. Just imagine the power of these magical words. We are all divine in disguise, and does the divine fear anyone? Not at all. This itself liberates us just to know that I am not this struggling creature. Okay, that's my outer life, there is struggle there, but this struggle, I can take it. Why? Because I am the divine in disguise. Nothing can destroy me, nothing can you know, come in the way. This orientation of the mind. So, who am I? But if I say that I am the son of so and so, I am Mr. This, Miss That, I am my religion, I am my surname, I am my little state, I am my language. You see, I limit myself. All these are identities which I have assumed, but I am not these. Yes, they are important to me, but I am not this alone. I exceed all these little things that are part of my life. They are part of my life, important as they are, for a greater purpose, which we need not touch here. But this is not me. Where am I coming from? From my mother's womb. That means I am a creation of material creation. Call it chance, accident, whatever. So what's my destiny? If I am coming from my mother's womb, then my destiny is, where will I go? I will end up with the tomb. This is the kind of unfortunate, uh, you know, kind of negative, pessimistic philosophies we hear. Man has come from dust, he will go back to dust. What does Indian philosophy say? Oh man, you are on a great journey. This is one life, but it's a journey of lifetimes. Where have I come from? You know, I'm tempted to quote one passage from Shurabindo where he says, Night is not our beginning nor our end. She is the safe mother in whose womb we have hid. We have come to her from a supernal light. By light we live, and to the light we go. We are children of God. Don't put that God into a religious slot. Then there will be fight between this God's children and that God's children. But we are children of God. Just imagine what an empowerment it is. I don't die with the death of my body. And at the same time, where am I going? If I am a child of God, I must become divine. That's my inevitable destiny. So while I am taking up a job, profession, marrying, all that is there. But that's not the real journey. The real journey is taking place behind. In other words, through these questionings, through this stepping back, we discover that our life runs on two parallel lines. One is the outward life, events, circumstances, ever-changing scenario, people. All these things are changing. We can't make a sense of these changes. Isn't it? But there is another life which is the inner lifeline. Always you will see in Palmist, we will talk about one outer lifeline and an inner lifeline. They will say the inner lifeline supports the outer. If you have a strong inner lifeline, your outer lifeline problems can be overridden. That's how the palmists say. And it is a deep truth of a being. Outer life is one, but there is an inner life. Catch that thread. There are instances where people were on the deathbed and they came out of it. Simply by the power of this inner lifeline this inner lifeline we must strengthen and to strengthen it first we must have a clarity of aim if our aim is small do what you may life will be miserable if our aim is outer we will always be at the mercy of circumstance. and then we start doing things to tweak and twist if the aim is outer I want to become a let's say a big man in uh, industry want to earn lot of money want to reach uh, the position of a CEO or whatever then what I will do I will automatically begin to deviate from my true calling. I'll start compromising, I'll develop ambition, I'll start pleasing people, flattering people. I'll be afraid of those in power and position. Start trying to, you know, uh, butter them or jam them or whatever else we can do. And what will be the end result? I would have gone far from my own true calling. And this is what the Gita says is the most dangerous thing in a man's life. Swadharmo shreya shriya paradharmo bhayava. Because we begin to live somebody else's life Isn't it? That's why very, very few people live their own life Because to live your own life You have to get free from all these little limited But what is that inner life? Inner life is the true calling of a man What you want to live for What is worth dying for Is what is worth living for So everyday we must sit for some time And raise this question to ourselves Don't give a fixed answer I don't want to give an answer I have my answer And I am sure there would be many who have their own answer. What is it in life that is worth living for and what is in this life worth dying for? And you see, you will see how your answers lead us to evolution. So this knowledge which comes from going within, turning within is so important. Whenever there is a little time, we all get little time, isn't it? We all say we are running short of time. No, we are gossiping, we are shopping, we are doing everything except using that time wisely. And to use it wisely is to spend some time with yourself. We know everything about the world, but you ask him, what do you know? I don't know myself. And the same applies about having power. You see the story of the Buddha, when Ashoka meets Buddha, as the story goes, and He says, I am Ashoka, the great. So well known. So Buddha says, oh, what are you? He says, I am an emperor. What kind of empire you hold? He says, all this land that you see is my empire. And when he asks Buddha, who are you? He says, I am also an emperor. What kind of emperor are you? He says, I am an emperor of my inner domains. So he doesn't understand. He says, what do you mean? He says, O king, you are a king over the land that is outside. I am a king who has mastered himself. I am the king of my own nature. Just imagine the power of these words. And when we understand this process of empowerment comes as we develop the true attitude based on the real knowledge that we perception that we have towards life. What is that attitude? How see changing attitude changes the whole scenario? So there is a story of this man who is sitting in, in a, it's hot in a desert. He is sitting below a palm tree and doing something, probably eating something. And there is a king who is passing by and he looks at this man and says, who is this crazy fellow? And he has the court philosopher. You know what court philosophers are meant to do? They are meant to only flatter the king. So the court philosopher says, sir, you are such a big man, your highness. Why do you want to waste your time on this man? He says, no, but I am a bit surprised. How could a person live like this? What is he doing? So he goes to him and he asks, what what are you doing? Who are you and what are you doing? He says, don't you see I am eating gruel, dalia." So the court philosopher condescendingly tells him, If you only knew how to please the king You do not have to eat this gruel all your life And this man looks at him and smiles and says If you only knew how to eat gruel You would not have to please the king all your life Look at the change of perspective This attitude is so important We don't understand the power of attitude We go through the entire schooling process Nobody teaches us what is the right attitude Another very interesting story. You see, we don't even know from childhood, we are bombarded with the contagion of desires. If you have this, you'll be happy. If you have that, you'll be happy. If you have this, you'll be happy. We don't even know whether it'll give me happiness or not. You see, that story, another story which I often quote, maybe all of you may not have heard, but some of those who hear me have heard this story, that a man went to a place where, uh, you know, a facility where people were depressed, and this inspector asked, why are you depressed, young man? So he was crying, Usha, Usha. It doesn't refer to any person, okay? So, take it easy. So, he says, uh, you know, I loved Usha and I couldn't get married to her. And then, he says, yes, that happens. We love someone and we can't get married, so it causes distress, I understand. He goes a few beds for the... sees another man crying, Usha, Usha. He asks what happened to you? Did Usha ditch you also? He says, no, no, I got married to Usha and I am depressed. And there is a third person who is also crying, Usha, Usha. And he asked, what happened to you now? He says, I don't know. I see these guys all the time saying Usha, Usha. And I feel Usha is someone very desirable. And I am worried. I am so unhappy because I don't even know who Usha is. So this is called a life led by desire. You know the problem of desire? You are unhappy when you don't get it. You are unhappy when you get it. This is the old adage. Buy happiness, pleasure through desire, get to pains free of cost. Why does this happen? Does it mean that we shouldn't have anything? No, we should have it. But it should be an act of love and an act of true will within. Desire means I want to hold it forever This spirit of possessing it Buy a very good sari From a store or a suit Or whatever you want to buy I mean don't buy it, quoting me But if you have bought it What happens when you come? You have worn it Now you want it to be appreciated Nobody is there to appreciate it What happens If it gets a little tone, oh, such a nice thing, I bought for so much. What happens if somebody says, this was available in Sarojini Nagar market for 500 rupees and you paid 5000 rupees? Hundred ways to become unhappy, desire opens the doors towards that. Keep yourself with minimum desires, rather live with needs. And you see how joy will come, regardless of wherever you are. So you have the story of this Diogenes, He's a great Greek philosopher sage. And his followers still date. They were people who could live with great joy. He was that kind of a man. But he used to live in a very small place. So one day Alexander goes and stands before him and says, because he has heard about him. So he sees he living in such a meager way. So he asks that, who are you? I am Alexander the Great and who are you? So Diogenes says, I am Diogenes the dog. What does it matter? He says, oh, I see that you are living in miserable conditions And Diogenes smiles And Alexander says Ask anything from me I am the emperor Ask and it shall be granted So Diogenes says Please move out of my way You are blocking the sun Don't you see I am bathing in the sun Now this is not to say That you should be like an ascetic It's an inner attitude If you have something Receive it as a gift of God Gift of grace You will be inwardly free Not tied to people Oh so and so gave me this Now I must return in the party In the next His marriage with a bigger package Things come not from people But through people And when they come out of you Also they don't come from you But through you Look at the wonderful saying of Khalil Gibran He says Your children are not your children They come through you And not from you There are times arrows going to their target. Who are we then? You are the bow person. You are the bow. That's all. And if you pull too hard, it will snap. Don't start playing this role too much. Some people start taking over responsibility of everything. They stretch the bow of life so much that it snaps. At the same time, don't keep it so lax that you can't even fire the arrow. This is with regard to Children. Don't think that you can control them and you want to everything they should do the way you expect. You will be miserable. A child has to blossom in his own beautiful way. But at the same time, if you become so lax that, okay, child is the freedom, whatever way, then again you are missing the mark. Be the right arrow with the right bowstring. And therefore, from there comes one of the axiomatic truths of life, which we can practically take home. That axiomatic truth is the golden mean. Aristotle used the word golden mean, Buddha speaks of it as balance, a life of balance. So what are we balancing? Ask somebody, he'll say, I'm balancing between work and home. No, that's not what is meant by balance. Ask somebody else, what are you balancing? He says, I'm balancing the demands of my family and the demands of my friends. That's not about balance. Balance and harmony is about the different parts of our own being. So let's see what are the different parts of a being which we need to balance. Most of the time we are balancing only our outer life. So that's life. Life with its movement. It's one aspect. How about all relationships which is about the heart? How about the mind? How about the body? How about the soul? All these parts. It balanced life means outer and inner. Both are in a state of perfect harmony. So while we lead an outer life, obviously everybody must. We are not ascetics, not meant to be ascetics. But inwardly also we must take time to grow within, inwardly. So some people will say, but there is nothing inward. If there is nothing inward, life is really not worth living. To live only for the bodily self, which is going to die and nothing is save this body and this breath. If that is the case, then very frankly, eat, drink and be merry is the only (laughs) logical conclusion. But if as mystics say, there is a deeper self, pay attention to it. Let it also grow. It needs another kind of food. So that's why, see, how to first make these parts grow in power. The mind needs knowledge. It has a seeking for knowledge. Knowledge is not over when we have finished a course when we have got a degree, that's when knowledge begins because then you are not constrained by this subject, that subject. Specialized knowledge is the end of knowledge actually, unfortunately. Because we have this illusion. I have done my psychiatry, I am a psychiatrist, so I know. No, I don't know. I don't know 10,000 things that exist upon earth. So I should have this will and quest for knowledge from the smallest things by paying attention, by wanting to know. Simple thing like how a person hammers the nail. A very simple thing. Seemingly. But look at the person and you will gain something. So, knowledge. Why am I here? Deeper knowledge. Higher knowledge. Is there something beyond our intellect? Beyond mind? Beyond man? Is there really something called God? Strive to find out. So, knowledge. To gain this knowledge, we can read books at the same time. Of course, books is not about information. Books of knowledge are a different kind of books. Information Google gives knowledge somebody who has processed this information and turned into mint of knowledge and then turn this knowledge into the real mint of wisdom so that's why one goes to sages seers reads the scriptures because it gives another kind of knowledge I may have all the knowledge of the world but if I don't know what my soul is how I should deal with life how to manage my anger then my knowledge is incomplete so knowledge develop this knowledge it's an empowerment love my heart How I should love, people don't know All their life they are unhappy Why? Because There are others, they are complaining Grumbling, grudging, so and so doesn't love me So and so doesn't love me At least you learn to live That's why when people are in depression and they say Oh, nobody loves me You know what cures? Tell them to buy a Labrador or a Golden Retriever See how it will cure them They will learn to give love And they will receive or simply love a tree, plant a tree, water the tree. Let this energy of love flow. It gives joy. If you are missing on joy, it means you are missing on love. And for love, learn to love. Learn to give love. Not want love. So this is not taught in our schools. So the tapasya of love we can say. Then about life. What is life meant for? How to conserve the energies of life? How to use it rightly and wisely? It's a vast subject. And I cannot enter into the details for constraint of time. But it's in itself a whole science. The science of living. Where are my energies going? What are my choices? What is dictating the flow of life? And then of course my body. We must pay attention to the body. Engage in some kind of exercises. If nothing else, do some cycling at home. Do some proper exercise. Don't get into this. Oh, I am doing yoga. Most of the time, yoga, keep it for old age. This what is called as yoga. I mean asanas. So, keep it going. Do something vigorous. At least walk the best exercise, half an hour walk. You can do it anywhere, it doesn't matter. You can do it even in your house. So, when we do this and then catching the inner thread of life, we are creating a balance in life. In all the different areas and domains of a being. Some people become workaholics. They are only working, working, working. So their life becomes imbalanced in one way. Some people are so lazy that they are always wanting to run away from work and just be at home. That is another kind of imbalance. Correct these imbalances. They create stress within the being. Because one part which is not active is in an inactive mode and the others are active. The human body and being is interconnected. So there is a stress within, and it causes disharmony, which results in diseases of various kinds. So allow this develop. Give time to yourself to develop these different aspects of life. Learn to inculcate attitudes which are going to which, which should make you free. How Diogenes is free? This is an inner freedom. Inner freedom means I don't depend upon anything. You may have a whole world, you may be a sage, a seer, governing the world, you may be the emperor, do it. But don't do it with this idea that, oh, this is mine. Be free that tomorrow, if you have to walk away from it, you walk away with a smile. That is what we see in some of our ancient stories. The story of King Harishchandra is, of course, one extreme. The story of Rama. That today he has a whole kingdom He is going to be coronated the king Next day he walks away with a smile on his face Without holding any grudge of bitterness in his heart Towards his father It's a tough life And most importantly Take stress as an evolutionary challenge Don't try to enter into comfort zones If you go into comfort zone For a moment you will be comfortable But life will knock at the doors again This time with a more terrible face because we have not taken the challenge Life will come again and say Are you ready now to take this challenge? Take the challenge of life And take it by empowering yourself By growing in knowledge By trying to understand Every situation is something unique Don't just accept it just at its face value Go deeper into it Try to understand Take the help of people Take the help of you know books Take the help of introspection, reflection, meditation These are capacities given to man And try to become calm and when you do that, then when you understand, see what is of value in an event, make the progress needed. See, when an event comes, we are carried away by its world, not realizing in that whole event, one thing is of real value, save that. All the rest will pass away like a storm that has gone away. So, we must understand that every event, situation, circumstances comes to give us something like a grain of gold but it is surrounded by a whole heap of ashes. Pick out that gold, it becomes your treasure, personal treasure. Most important in life, learn to wait and be patient. Impatient people, life is not a McDonald's or KFC. Thankfully it is not. You see the example of coal and diamond? They are Made out of the same basic substance, carbon. Not only carbon, the same way, the whole arrangement of atoms is the same. Why one turns coal? Coal is very impatient. It doesn't go deep like us. It likes to be on the surface. And it says, Take me out, take me out, take me out. We take it out. What is the result? It's worth nothing. It can give some fuel, of course, but that's it. It gives fuel with a lot of smoke, not a clear fuel itself. And it burns a bit, becomes ash. The same carbon says, no, I want to go deep into the earth, bear its temperature, doesn't break down and stays deep within. And you have to dig out much with great difficulty. What happens when it comes out? It becomes a diamond. If we are impatient in life, life is shaping us. There is a wisdom in life. It is shaping us. And we should be patient, persevering, like a diamond, full of trust. A personality of a divine type or even a higher kind is not carved out of a hurried... You see, when you have to make a, uh, you know, a gold ornament, you see the process. You dig out gold. Gold is mixed with so much dust. You... Let it go through the purifying process. Then you set it to fire. And then finally you carve an ornament, give it small touches. Then it becomes an ornament. We are meant to become such ornaments. But for that we have to go through the process. Life comes with mixed baggage, everything. Sieve out the unnecessary elements. Sieve out all that is not necessary for our progress towards our aim. It's useless muck. We don't have to start reacting, responding to everybody and everything on the road and start, you know, uh, socializing, one of the biggest bains. We don't need to do that. That is an unnecessary element. Sieve it out. After you have sieved it it out, start purifying, refining ourselves. You see? Bring out the greater possibility. Tadipa is such a beautiful learning. Simply how to speak, we don't know how to speak. And see, speech causes so much distress in others and to ourselves. So, just learning to speak, refining speech, refining actions, refining the way we wake up, the way we sleep. This is a whole art and science of living. What do we do first thing when we wake up? We are on to WhatsApp or we are on to... Just spend just a few moments with gratitude. Thank you for this day. I have another day to live life beautifully. Don't send... Messages just, good morning, good morning, good morning. Send messages with goodwill because it's your work in the world. When people wake up and see a beautiful message from you, full of goodwill, full of love, it helps. It's like a work of God. It's not just a casual thing. But do it as an act of love. And of course, I'm not saying that thousands of people you write in standard format and I spend about quite a few minutes on this message And people ask me, why don't you make a standard format and send to everybody? Then it's no more a message, it's a formality. Pour your heart into all that you do. Do it as an act of love. And it could be the smallest of things or the big things. Do everything as an act of love. It could be cooking a peel. Do it with love. It could be writing a paper. Do it with love. It could be listening and speaking. Facing a war. Being a hero. Leading an army. Running a kingdom. Polishing a shoe, do it as an act of love. Bring out this love in all that one does. So this is how from morning till evening, so work becomes a joy. Why? Because it's an act of love. And do it not for the sake of desire and what I will get out of work. Nobody can decide about the result. It's a basic truth. The Gita puts it very crisply. Nishkam karma. Well, does man have a choice? Do we really have a choice to decide and determine our results? What is given to us is to do well. That we must do. When we are stressed by the anticipation of results, it takes away half our energy. I have had communication with some cricketers and all this, And you know, one of the, Oh, I can't bat well, I get nervous. You know why people get nervous? Because they are already anticipating results. So what what is happening? They cannot give their best to life. To give your best to life, be at the moment, do it well. People often ask, how do I concentrate? I don't know how to concentrate. And then there are meditation methods, sit like this, do this mudra, go inside, you learn after paying thousand dollars, yet you cannot concentrate. There is a simple way is, concentrate on whatever work is at hand. Supposing you are eating, chew well. Supposing you are you know, speaking to somebody, engage in that work. It could be a physical work. Do it with utmost concentration. What is concentration? It is a disciplining your energies so that they are at the command of your will. They flow in the direction that you have built. Concentration of thought, that it will flow in the direction where you have decided. Not like in a tabletop conversation, people are drawn by gossips of every kind. So avoid gossip if you really want to grow in life. That means all these social gatherings, parties, they are nothing but gossip. Worst kind of destruction of energies, all kinds of interchange. So learn to concentrate, learn to see out. And then finally, balancing all these parts, when we come to sleep. Sleep with joy in your heart. Why? Should you have joy in your heart, the joy comes when you have lived a day well. Live the day well has nothing to do with tomorrow. When you go to sleep, you should be ready. I have done what I should do today. And for tomorrow I am ready. If tomorrow never comes, I am ready. Most important in the end. That which keeps us going, which we do not ever grow, and that is faith. When we all knew that today we have a meeting at 5.30, we all said Yes. How did we know that we are going to meet? This is called faith. When a baby comes out of the womb, it has faith. So this faith, ultimately, we have in so many things, situations, circumstances, the very stuff of our being. Have faith in yourself. Have faith in your destiny. And have faith in God. These are the three kinds of faith one must always carry with oneself. Faith in yourself. Faith in destiny. Faith in God. And by faith in destiny, I don't mean that sab achcha bahar se. Have faith that whatever happens will be good. And if you have that faith, everything will turn towards good. And along with this faith, if you are lucky to have this faith in that wonderful grace which governs life, this is not something which one can mentalize, but if you are fortunate, you can do it by being in the company of those who have faith in the grace. That's why satsang, avoid the company of those who drag our energies in directions which are, you know, so many people want to drag us into directions where we just waste. Be in the company of those who uplift us, who will help us progress. So be in the company of those who have faith in the grace and if we can surrender to that grace, then life will become beautiful, a marvel and a constant wonder there will be not only no stress, but every stress, so-called stress, will become not just a challenge, but a great opportunity to grow. To close with an example from the Mahabharata. How did Abhimanyu face what he faced? Isn't it a great stress seen from one way? Yes, but he did it. Why? He faced it by knowing it's his day, his opportunity One day he has got his opportunity To fight with all the vigor of his soul And he did it And therefore Abhimanyu never died You may wonder how his body died But Abhimanyu became immortal People don't swear by the name of Arjuna the great warrior Arjuna was a great warrior Undoubtedly Not a single warrior like him But when people, people talk about bravery and courage They say Abhimanyu That was his moment. What was the opportunity and the choice before Abhimanyu? Go back into his comfort zone. Nobody was pushing him into doing what he did. He knew he doesn't know how to get back. He knew that he is entering a territory where anything could happen. He turned his death into a means to conquer immortality. Till date, Abhimanyu is not forgotten. Never will he be forgotten till there is a single true Kshatriya warrior In Anywhere in this world They will swear by his name And follow his example They were great warriors They came and they went away That is what is called as Turning stress or the challenge of life Into a means of ascension and growth But for that one must know That body is not all If Abhimanyu thought my body is all He couldn't have fought the way he did If Abhimanyu thought my life is only for my wife and child, he would have never been able to fight. But at that moment, Abhimanyu said, body, life, mind, they are nothing. I am a soul traveling on an upward journey. Let me take this opportunity and throw myself into the great fire of yajna, sacrifice. And through sacrifice, emerge like the phoenix bird, pure and strong and immortal. Thank you. I think uh, I could go on, but let's have some questions. No problem. Yeah. Uh, can I ask question then? This is Ramya. Yes, Ramya. Yes. Uh, sir, uh, good evening, sir. It's really great to have your, uh, have you in this session. Uh, really, it's very amazing words what you say, what you uh, give, give us. Uh, it's really uh, making us very light. And I have one question, like uh, how can you avoid feeling low? Or feeling alone or feeling low. Yes. So, uh, thank you Ramya for this question and for the beautiful words. So, how can you avoid feeling low? Whenever you are low, when you are in a state of sadness, say to yourself, I am not this miserable creature. I am not here. You know, sadness comes. Why depression comes? Depression comes from fatigue. If it is fatigue, take rest. Depression comes because we are not getting something which we wanted. And supposing something you are not getting which you wanted, say that it is not worth me to have this thing. And say that divine knows, God knows what is better for me. He will give me what I need and what I deserve. So have this faith and through the power of faith come out of that. Second, very simply, there is a part in us which gets depressed. Unlock it by taking a movement towards something which can immediately give you the sense of satisfaction in joy. Engage yourself in any activity which gives you happiness. Dance, sing, pray, do anything which unlocks. It's like suddenly it unlocks. Otherwise the mind gets caught into that single movement. It's like whirlpool which is sucking you lower and lower. Go out, take a walk, meet friends, anything. So it unblocks that part. And then, alone, remember, two things in life which will always help. One, we are all alone. We may have a whole family, but there is a moment, supposing one is going on the road, meets with an accident, one is unconscious. Who comes and helps? We don't even know. We are all alone. But remember also, the whole world is with us. Meaning thereby, this world is not just a world of humans. Talk to everything. Make, comp- make friends with the sun. Make friends with the rain. Make friends with the breeze. Communicate with it. Make friends with the trees. See, they will respond. They are beautiful beings. Everything is conscious and living. Make friends with the frog on the road in, in winters. Make friends with even the little worm. Look at it and communicate with the ant, with the dogs, cats, whole world of beings and towards human beings also. But most importantly, when you make friends, just give. Don't live for with a sense of want. That will bring perpetual sadness again and again. So how? We also have our needs and wants. Where will we get them from? So remember, I am alone, everybody is alone the whole world is with me but deep within there is a permanent eternal companion who walks with us and that is God make him your friend don't treat God like somebody on the pedestal whom you have to please with, oh my God, what not with, you know Arti and this and that and mala and money he doesn't care about all these things he has all of that give him your love Say from today Whatever way you conceive of God Doesn't matter Tell him from today You are my friend Tell him everything Write, speak, communicate with him As if he is living because he is living And living right there with you He is not only in some special places He is with you, within you And when you live like that You see the magic and the marvel change in your life You yourself will say how your life changed. I have seen people come out of deep, chronic depression. And all that advice was given to them make Krishna your friend. And their lives changed. And another last way whenever life makes one feel miserable, low, because I am thinking of myself, see, when we are miserable, what do I think? My life, my nobody understands me, nobody feels, somebody whom I loved, he doesn't care. All these thoughts, all centered around I. Make this I so vast. Think of the vast universe. Think of how space is expanding into God knows where. Think of endlessness of time. This is just one moment. Lives we have left behind and lives that are going to come before us. And when we make our consciousness vast like this, depression will vanish in moments. So put it into part of your daily practice to speak to God as a friend not like he's the master or, oh my god i should be afraid if i have done some sin he doesn't care he laughs at all these our sins are he looks at it like stumblings of a child so parents make the child get up okay that's it <laughs> they apply a balm and make us walk okay equally virtues he's not impressed by our virtues can't impress him. Oh, I am such a goodie boy. Make him your friend. Incorporate it from day to night. Make make God your friend. And remember, even if everybody is around you, ultimately deep within we are alone and the whole world is with us. And make the consciousness vast in terms of time and space. Okay? Okay, sir. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Yes. Welcome. Hello, sir. Yeah, my question yes, is, uh, yes. at one point of time, you said, you no, know, be in the company who will uh, uplift us right so uh, no, how yes I think there is some connectivity issue at your end but Tinko I could hear these words how to be in the company of those who uplift us beyond it I couldn't hear because there was some problem with the words you can message in the chat box uh, hello yeah, so my question is how to identify such people Ah, yes, I got it So that's what I understood is the question See, in India, Indian thought That's why it is called as the value of satsang And equally, the problem with dusang. So how to identify these people? Obviously, these people are found in the places Which nurture such things That was the original idea of, about satsang Not what it has become now But find a place everywhere, there is a place or a group. If you are lucky to find one such person, it's like special grace. But you can always find, nowadays at least in every city, every place, there are some places where the whole atmosphere and the kind of humanity which grows there, even if that humanity has a lot of defects, at that point of time they bring out their best because they are meeting on a different matrix. So find places... Where there is a matrix of spiritual consciousness And there Even if few moments you are there Spend some time there Maybe once a week And it will uplift you There you will meet some people Who will be like very natural friends In your upward growth Of course one meets all kinds of people otherwise And they help Because they they share your aspiration They are not many So obviously they cannot be found in the standard workplace You may find them, may not find them But there are places where the chances of finding a person who is having this kind of godward aspiration or a higher aspiration. You see, otherwise in normal life, it's ambition which kills all these deeper things and idealism. Stay away from the company of these people. You may need them for work. Okay, in work you are meeting them. But they don't make them your friends because they are ambitious people and they are living only for their own selfishness. But... If you are lucky to find one such person in your workplace, wonderful. But mostly you will not find them in places like these. There are such few. Go to places where you may find them. That is the reason why in India there used to be emphasis about Tirtha. Places where you are likely to find such people. Find them, sit in their company. That's why people used to go to the sages, to the wise people. So that in their company they could be uplifted. And if you can't find anything... Be in the company of wonderful books. They are a satsang. So when you read a book from Swami Vivekananda, you are in one way in the company of Swami Vivekananda. Read his letters. You will feel he is addressing to you. Of course, you cannot talk and exchange there. But it is wonderful company. Read the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Read books of the Mother and you will see how everything grows and develops. Hello, there is one more huh? How do we Yes. Negative thoughts How do we? Control negative thoughts. Don't try... T- ah, okay, how do we control negative thoughts? Don't try... Yes. Don't try to control because the more you try to control, the more terrible they will become. Because what happens is negative thoughts are uh, basically a way of looking at life. They are a kind of attitude. Don't try to control them. It's like... Saying that today I will not think of a white elephant. Instead, inculcate positive thoughts. So, when you feel negative thoughts of, let us say, anger, so if you try, I will not get angry, I will not get angry, it will become more and more terrible. But instead of that, say that, well, I must have peace. Whenever you are filled with thoughts of hatred, jealousies, say that I must love. So, this is the way which is taught. In, in yoga and in real life If you say I will not hate I will not be jealous It won't happen Instead say I want to love I want to grow in love So don't try to control negative thought Rather inculcate the positive thought So every thought like fear Instead of fighting fear Grow in faith Instead of fighting hatred Grow in love Instead of fighting agitation Grow in peace Got the point? So don't fight a negative thought Bring in the thoughts that will rejuvenate Which are wonderful Which will nourish And you see the negative will be washed away To take one example You don't fight darkness with darkness Can you succeed? No Light a lamp, light a candle So whenever you see negative thoughts are around You become the light, light a little lamp And you see sooner or later that darkness will vanish Okay so I would, like you, I would like to. Thank you, I would like to thank a lot. Thank you.